Ephesians 3, chapter, uh, uh, verse 1 says, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ for the sake of you Gentiles. I always read that verse and I pause there a second and realize what it's really like to be an apostle. It might mean giving up a lot of things you love for the, to get a message to the people that you love. I, Paul, the prisoner of the Gentiles, the same one that says that I was called to be an apostle of the Gentiles, is now imprisoned for them. And he says, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. Now, I want you just to you kind of keep your finger there. You can stay there. I'm going to flip back now to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. And it says, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature. <laughs> but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. However, it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived are the things that God has prepared for those who love him. I'm going to read that again. I said, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human mind has conceived the things God has prepared for those who love him. And these are the things God has revealed to us by the Spirit. This passage in Corinthians is absolutely packed with just these nuggets of revelation. And Paul is here and he's saying, listen, guys, he says, I'm really not that great of a speaker. I'm, I, I'm not eloquent. But when I speak, it's wisdom even to the mature. Why? Because there's something that the Lord has given me that you're getting that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind's even comprehended it. He said, I couldn't really, he wasn't a persuasive preacher. He said, I couldn't persuade them on my own words. You know, one of the things I never want to be is such a good preacher that I don't even need the Holy Spirit. I don't want to be that good. I told you the story a few weeks ago, Bill Vanderbush, someone we just watched the video of, he told the story of how his dad came to his church, and long story short, he he was really proud of his church, and he said they had, it was so excellent. Everything was excellent, perfect. The lights came up at the right point. The videos came up at the right point. Everything was perfect. And he asked his dad, he said, what do you think of our church? And his dad said to him, he said, son, it's amazing. He said, it's so excellent. You don't even need the Holy Spirit to show up. Paul was coming at it from a different angle, and he was saying, and this is a reformer, he said, I really don't have that great of a message. I'm not persuasive. I'm not eloquent in my words. But I carry this revelation that even when I speak, it becomes wisdom to the mature people. 
And the question is, is if we're willing to let people see who we're not so they can see who God is. You have, to, you have to be okay with letting people see your weaknesses so they can see his strengths. I can come out here with my strength so strong and so big that I never even get to see his come through. That's what I love about people. That's why we love equipping people and raising people up. That's why I love grabbing the person and saying, hey, come pray. Can you, can you pray for me? Well, yeah, okay. Yeah, you got it. You got it. Just pray for me. You got it. Why? Because something happens when the Holy Spirit begins to flow through them. And all of a sudden, everything begins to change. And Paul was saying, listen, I'm not that great, but in him, I am. I said, in him, I am. All right, let's break some thinking here. In him, you're great. Not in him, you're still bad and he's still great. In him, you're great. Well, I don't know about that. I don't think he would let you marry his son otherwise. He's not going to set his son up with a deadbeat. You're the bride. You're great. This is my passion is to get people to understand now that you're in Christ, how amazing you really are. read it again Ephesians I'm flipping back to Ephesians said Ephesians 3 verse 5 said it was not made known to people in other generations as it's been been revealed by the spirit of God to the holy apostles and the prophets we are actually stewards this is this is pretty interesting we are actually people who steward the mysteries of God you, you carry with you, you, you carry his mysteries. Paul said no generation before us has had the privilege of this revelation, of this insight. This, this scripture was written 2,000 something years ago. And here's the thing is that we often, and, and I, you know, everybody kind of is all different places on this stuff when you start saying stuff like the last days. A lot of people feel like we're in the last days. A lot of people feel like the, the last days happened back between this passage and around AD 70. But here's the thing, no matter which one you believe, the things that you read about, you have them now. The things that you read about, they're, they're here now. One of the greatest mistakes that we make is continually putting things off to the future that God said, I need you to have those now. <laughs> this, is, this is huge as we understand in these passages that it wasn't something that was meant to come. It may have been when they were writing it. But we have it now. We don't have to retrovert... It says the kingdom of God is at, my iPhone can be here, and I'm over here. My iPhone is not in my hand. I have to go get it. My iPhone is now in my hand. It's in my possession. The kingdom of God is not over there. It's at hand. If we start acting like it, 
and stop praying prayers that's putting it all the way on that side of things and start actually praying prayers that really line up with, Father, let me understand the mysteries. Let me understand these things. We don't have to pray that he'd rip the heavens open. He already did that. You're good. When he got baptized, the heavens ripped, rid-sewed, and there, I, there's, I haven't found a passage after that that he put them back together. He ripped the heavens open. The Holy Spirit came down on Jesus, a dove. It's so interesting. Here comes the Holy Spirit. It's a proto. It's, it's, it's looking forward to Acts, which is the day that we're remembering today when the Holy Spirit once again came down on everyone else and hit them and whacked them. So much to the point that everywhere they walked, they were just accused of being a bunch of drunkards because they were so whacked by the Spirit. They didn't know what was going on. And so the kingdom of God is at hand. Paul was saying that you're living in a generation. We are living in a generation of things that people before this could only imagine. I really want you to think about that. Everything that was prophesied to come is here. It changes some things. It changes the way we see things. He said it was spoken to us by his, it says in, actually I didn't get there, in Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, In the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us, he's spoken to us by his son. Everybody say, by his son. He said that he used to speak to them through the prophets, but now he's speaking to them by his son. I remember hearing Brian Simmons teach on this one time, and he pointed something out that absolutely wrecked me. He said probably the most pure translation that could have been used in that passage is that he speaks to us, it's spoken in son. In other words, that God's language is actually relationship. Said instead of saying it's more clearly translated, instead he spoke it by his son, he spoke it in son. He spoke it in relationship. That's how he talks. That's how he operates. He operates in relationship. His model is family. And he was saying you can't bypass the family and get the inheritance. You get it, it's spoken in son. And the people that have waited for generations, you got it. It's yours. Can I just push it a little farther? Every promise in the word of God for a believer that was yet to come with the exception of Jesus coming back. Those promises for believers, we've got them all. We've got them all. Your Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, chapter 2, every spiritual blessing has been given to you. Not 
most of the spiritual blessings have been given to you. Every spiritual blessing has been given to you. It's funny when I preach on this because you always have like two different groups of people. One group that's like, yes. And one group that's like, well, I don't know. I don't know, I don't know about that. See, the problem is, is if we can push off promises that are meant for today, tomorrow, it takes the responsibility off of us. We can remove the responsibility and put it back on him. Well, Father, if it's your will, well, he already kind of told you what his will was. <laughs> is to raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, heal the sick. <laughs> Come on, church. You're getting quiet on me now. You got to get this. He's given everything to us. We are in him. We have it because we married into it. We married the son, and now everything that he's got, we got. Because you married into it. And we, we've got to quit putting things off for tomorrow. We've got to stop putting off freedom until we die. Once I die, <laughs> if death sets you free, then it's your Savior, not Jesus. I, death's not my Savior. I don't have to die to get free. I remember when my dad used to preach this all the time. He'd always talk about that song, I'll Fly Away. And he, and he said there's a one verse, just a few more weary days here and there. And it's like, man, what a depressing song to sing. You know, it's like just a few more bad days here and there. Where did that come from? Where's that in the scriptures? He says, no, 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 guys. You are more than conquerors. Every, every spiritual blessing that he's got, you've got. Take it. Walk in it. Don't put it off to the other side of death. <laughs> either the cross was enough or it wasn't. It was either enough or it wasn't. And we don't have, when God said, my kingdom is here, he says, go for it. Jump in. It's like Jonathan was saying this morning. I kind of caught part of it because I had to step out and put my microphone on. But he was talking about pools and parties. And when I came back in, I don't actually know. <laughs> that's all I got, actually. So <laughs> I'm not even going to act like I know what you said because I really don't. But, but I'll tell you what I heard. When I heard him saying that, when you go to a pool party, it's like somebody's got to be the first one to jump in. You know, there's always that, that person, somebody's got to get in the pool. Everybody's kind of hanging out around the sides. That's what I love about kids. They're just like, cannonball, and they just jump right in. Listen, there's something with the kingdom of God is at hand that we have been taught and we have been so ingrained with so much religion that says, well, just keep, keep, if you're good enough, if you, if you, if you obey enough, God will give it to you. And so we've bought into that lie. But I feel like there's like this little group of people at this church in South Charlotte. They're like, we'll, be, we'll, we'll jump in the pool. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'll do the cannonball, baby. And I'll jump in because I'm not going to keep waiting for Jesus, what he already gave me. I heard a song by a group one time. They said, you said, everybody's praying for revival while I'm already living in one. 
and that grabbed me and said, I don't know how, he said, I'm living in one. I'm not believing for one, I'm living in one. That's how it spreads, is that we live in it, and if we aren't careful, we'll find our place. If we keep waiting and waiting and waiting, we come to a stalemate, and we come to the place where instead of beginning to pursue things, we actually begin to look back at what used to happen. And you can actually become in a really dangerous place because you lose your, view, your vision for the future. And the next thing that's just natural is you begin to actually operate out of just memory. Well, remember when the Lord poured out his spirit in 97, 2000, Toronto, Brownsville, all these great places, which was amazing. Impacted me. But see, you begin to live from a place of memory instead of actually beginning to minister out of a place of imagination. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to land on this because this is really important for you to understand that because we've heard preach so long that imagination is bad. If God gave it to you, it's not bad. What you do with it can make it good or bad. But anything God gave me is good. And people are taught, well, cast down those thoughts of the imagination. If you do that, you'll never have another original song written. You'll never have another painting. Because you can't create what you can't imagine. Albert Einstein said, your imagination is your preview of life's coming attractions. Your, your imagination is your preview of life's, coming imagina- of life's coming attractions. You see, your imagination has the ability to diminish and eliminate obstacles. You can't, my, imagine can over, my imagination can overcome anything. I may be in a place where I'm coming into breakthrough in certain areas, but it can't stop my imagination. I can imagine anything. I've told this before, and I'll tell it again. I, I remember when I would imagine, when I, would, I stood up here, and I was just learning to lead worship, and I'd play keyboard, and the room was empty, and I would imagine leading worship. I remember when I would come down Providence Road, and I would pull on to Alexander and take a right, and I would imagine cars lined up all the way down Alexander waiting to get in. I would imagine traffic jams. Some of you are like, don't do that. I got, I'm like, dude. <laughs> I'm like, I, I can see it. I remember I would imagine it. I would imagine coming in. I would imagine people. I'm already imagining people for our conference in July. I'm just telling you my imagination. I have them all the way lined up down the hall, wrapped around the building, waiting to get into the church is what I'm imagining. I, I imagine these things because if I can't, then I don't have an ability to create. And God designed us to create and we've cast down the imagination. We've cast down the imagination. This iPad is like your imagination. You can look at something good. You can look at something bad. But it's, this is not a bad iPad. If you don't like iPads, keep your mouth shut, all right? <laughs> so, so if you're one of those people that I text and you're green and not blue, that's all I'm saying. I don't know where Mike is. Oh, he's in kids' church right now. All I'm saying is I try not to look down on those people, but I love you. I love you. But my iPad, 
whatever. That screen is not bad. That screen is not bad. Your imagination is not bad. Your imagination is powerful because it's the one thing in you that can say, I know that life is, the reality is it looks really bad right now, but I can imagine myself being in a place of freedom, being in a place that's blessed, in a place of favor, that nothing is, all this is not happening. All of a sudden, you just begin to imagine that. And what happens, you begin to agree with what you're thinking. Agreement starts to happen. And then you start really getting somewhere because not only are you imagining it, now you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. I love when people come to me and they tell me what they're, they're dreaming for. I love it. I'll imagine with you. I will. I, I heard a video not too long ago. I've been watching a lot of videos with Bill Vanderbush just to kind of get familiar with his material. And I remember him saying, he said, when I pastored in a church, he said, my job was to dream with people. He said, even if they called and told me their dream, and I think it's absolutely probably the craziest thing I've ever heard, and I don't know how that's going to work out, my job is to dream with them. My job is to dream with them. God gave you an imagination so you could dream, so you could create the power, the creative power that he placed in you that can solve anything. <laughs> We've been robbed of a lot of this by people that just, maybe they intentionally taught it negatively or maybe they didn't, but they've taught fear back in when Jesus came to cast fear out. And we get it back in people because it's easier to control someone when they're afraid than it is to equip someone when they're free. That's why parents try to scare their kids so that then they can control them instead of it's easier, it's not as easy to instill love and you're a powerful person and encouragement to empower them. And it seems like the results are quicker when you scare them until you're not around. <laughs> until mom and dad aren't there and you thought they were doing good. We had a family one time that had done that. They just, just, just rules, rules, rules. I mean, to the point, like, it was bad. Like, can't wear colorful clothing because it attracts people to look at you, and that's sin. Like, like, don't wear sunglasses because it was egotistical. Like, well, it's because the sun's bright for me, personally. <laughs> but, I mean, it was, that, it, was that, it was that extreme that, like, you can't wear sunglasses, you can't do that, you can't play cards, you can't, you know, nothing. And... This child seemed like the sweetest, greatest child ever. And then finally they got outside of that and they went crazy because they'd been ruled and controlled by fear instead of equipped by love. The church often takes the same approach where we try to control people by fear instead of equipping them in love. And we wonder why all week nothing happens. And we come back together. And it's like, well, what did you do this week? Uh, but I'm here. I don't care. I want to see you equipped, raised up. Paul was saying, you actually carry, you steward mysteries. 
Jesus came and said, I came to cast out that fear. I was at the hospital recent, uh, just a few days ago, and I got stuck in a room with someone that tried to start a, a, a challenging conversation, to say the least, on end time stuff. Like, really? Are we going there right now? And I'm, I'm there to support somebody, and, and this person comes to me and starts trying to pick a fight with me and says, well, what do you think? I knew where that was going. I said, well, I said, here's my deal. I said, if any of your end times belief has any ounce of fear in it, then I know it can't be God because God came to cast out all fear. And <laughs> Fair enough. I don't think we agreed, but they didn't really know what to say back. So I was, I, purpose was accomplished. <laughs> it's like, let's just shut that one down before we go any farther. <laughs> so judgmental, man. We can go, we can go, they started this. The <laughs> oh, man, if you guys don't hear the conversations I'm in sometimes. Start attacking, you know, and I was in one, I was in another one recently, and I'm just going to go there. They started attacking the thing that happened with the Lakeland Revival with Todd Bentley and all that kind of stuff, and like it or not, that's your choice, but I believe in grace. And so, I, you know, I don't like how things went down, but I believe in grace. And so... I still extend grace, and someone began to attack that point and that person and, and just go after them. Before they got any farther, I said, oh, yeah, I know Todd. I got to, I got to go see his second baby. I was there right after the baby was born, and, and all of a sudden, oh, oh, oh. I'm not, listen, I don't need people going through and trying to find things to judge me about, and I'm not looking for things to judge them about. I'm looking to extend grace. I'm looking to extend love. I'm looking to equip people. I'm looking to call people out of where they're at and call them where God's trying to get them. And so many people have been told how bad they are and you're just a sinner, just saved by grace. Really, show me a scripture. I found one in Ephesians that you were saved by grace. But the other part of that scripture isn't anywhere because it's not a scripture. Because you're not a sinner, you're a king. Your nature is now, you are a son, you are a daughter, you are a king, you are a priest. You are no longer just hanging on. It's not there. God's not going not, God's not to say, okay, you're going to be the bride for my son, but you are just a sinner. Well, then he would be embracing unequally yoked. And he doesn't believe that because he believes that in your new identity, in your new nature, that you are royalty. It's, it says that he is the king of kings. He's the king of kings. We are now royalty. He's king over me, but he's the king over kings. Yeah. I'm about to run, man. I'm not a running preacher. I'm going to do like your grandpa in a minute and just, just start hauling it around the building, boy, because this is exciting stuff. Jordan's grandpa got excited. He got healed. His only Sunday he's ever come to our church, and he was sitting here in worship and got completely healed. And then he just starts running laps around the church. <laughs> it's so good. We get to be in a time where it's the unveiling. We get to be a part of not the hiding. He did that. He says, now you get to actually come in and unveil it. 
How fun is that? How many of you know, like, you know, if you're like me, when someone's opening a gift that I gave to them and I'm really excited about it, I wanted to, like, come open it, open it, open it. You're almost like, like, ripping it, the paper. You know what I'm saying? You do that too? You're like opening, they're like, cool, open my gift. I'm like, sorry, sorry, sorry. You know, it's upside down. Flip it over, flip it up. It's okay. Don't open that one first. No, 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 no. How many of you get the gifts in pieces? It's like, my, Tiffany does that to me. It's like, Gift A, B, C, and D, but you got to start here and work across these. And so don't touch that, that's E. You know? <laughs> My kids wake up, they're like, oh, I just want to open presents. <laughs> but we get this fun job where Jesus wrapped things up and gave us these great gifts, and we get to open them up, and we get to show people, look at this. And I said, like, Whoa, I get that. <laughs> Because we get the ministry of unveiling. I'm going to read it again. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6. It says, This mystery is that through the gospel of the Gentiles and heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, shares together in the promise of Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift. I think I said gospel and hospital in one word. Gospel. Whatever. I became a servant of this gospel. All the prophetic people are like, oh, I know why. He's going to heal this morning. Woo! It's the gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus. Oh, I know my church. Or do I know my church? People are going to come in and be like, I'm a gospel. It says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles and the boundless riches of Christ. Everybody say boundless riches. And to make plain to everyone. <laughs> it's okay. If you think you're plain, we need you. We got to make it plain to everyone. The administration of the mysteries which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. Now his intent. Everybody say now. now. All right. Verse 10 is the pivot of the scripture. Here it was. And it pivots and it says before he did this. But now. Now his intent is that through the church. Wait a minute. The church. Didn't say the preacher, didn't say the pastor, didn't say the evangelist, didn't say the apostle, said that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers, the authorities, and the heavenly realms. Okay. I read to you earlier, it said that he would make your words wisdom to even the mature. Now, this scripture takes it to a whole nother level. It says now he's going to take you to the point where you're actually going to be teaching what does it say in verse 10? It said that you're going to begin to make known things to the rulers and authority in the heavenly realms. What's the point? Angels learn from you. This blows my mind. This blows my mind. People, people, you see, angels are so in awe of us. Because here we are, these human beings with this free will that mess everything up constantly and they're these created beings they're not heirs they're created beings and they come and they hang around us because they're learning what grace looks like 
They're learning. That scripture says that we unfold things to the spiritual principalities. Maybe, just maybe, just maybe that not every time angels are showing up is because they're bringing something. Maybe they're coming to watch. Maybe they're coming to learn. I don't understand how that person who I knew them 10 years ago, I was flying through their neighborhood. I saw them. Now they're up on this stage leading people in the presence of God. I don't get it. I got to hang around them because this grace is amazing. <laughs> Paul said, grace, power, boundless riches, revealing mysteries. That's the gospel he's preaching. Question is, is that the gospel we're preaching? He said, I'm preaching grace. I'm preaching power. I'm preaching boundless riches. Revealing mysteries. Is that our message? You know, I know we're, and I, say, I make this joke all the time that we're in the South, and I believe God's unbuckling the Bible belt. <laughs> I believe that he's loosening it up. <laughs> I always made the joke, it's like when you sit down for a good meal, you know, you got to make some room. The Bible belt's got to unbuckle that belt to make some room for what God's getting ready to do. And, and <laughs> wear your stretchy pants. <laughs> the things I hear from this front row is really hard sometimes to preach, may I say. But people have been preached at, people have been told how unholy they are, how unrighteous they are, how much judgment is coming, this, 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 this. And Paul is saying, you're missing it. My message is grace, power, boundless riches, and you reveal mysteries. This is what you've been called to do. You have to be okay with it. <laughs> this is hard for some people, but it's, there are points that you have to be okay with not always understanding what's going on. Philippians 4, 7 makes the remark, it says that it's the peace that surpasses all understanding. I'm convinced that with most people, until they give up the pursuit of understanding everything, they don't usually get to experience the peace that surpasses it. People that are driven to understand everything, and don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with being a scholar, a student, that's wonderful. But I hate to break it to you, you're never going to understand everything about God. He's too great He's too great. And sometimes you have to just say, I'm going to take peace over this driving me nuts in my head. Let's <laughs> bring this in for a landing. <laughs> Paul said, he said that... Uh, in Philippians 4, 7, I'm just referencing, write them down, flip to them, whatever you'd like to do. Philippians 4, 7 talks about that. And he talks about, Paul makes this remark, he says that he'll die for the gospel. I often wonder how many people would die for the gospel that is mostly heard, is mostly taught. Would you die for that? Paul said, I will. 
And what happens is, is if we're not preaching something that's worth dying for, and if we're not believing something that's worth dying for, we won't have passion. Because I, I, that's another thing, to be honest with you. I believe God is restoring passion to the church. I believe God is restoring passion to this church. I believe he's restoring passion where when people come in and the first instrument note is hit, it's like, whoop. Because there's such passion. There's such passion. Passion is important. Many people have thrown out passion with thinking that, um, you know, there's a difference between being desperate and being passionate. You hear me? You can be extremely passionate, but not a desperate person. I don't believe it's the gospel believing that we have to be desperate for God. I believe that we have pretty solid biblical scriptures that tell us you don't have to be desperate for him. But passion is important. If you remove passion from a marriage, you'll end up with marriage counseling for sure. can't remove it. If you remove passion from your walk with the Lord, the relationship starts to get wobbly. Because you were created to be people that were passionately in love with him. And there's something that happens that we're in that passionately and I would, I would lay down my life in a heartbeat for my wife, my kids, no problem. I passionately love them. God is restoring that passion without the unhealthy desperation. Hunger's good. Be hungry for him. If you're not hungry, you're, if, if I'm physically not hungry, I'm probably sick. Or something's really bothering me. Hunger's good. Church that comes together and there's no hunger, something's sick. Something's missing. Hunger and thirst after him. I come together every Sunday morning, and I'm just speaking corporately. I do it in my own life, too, but I come together every Sunday morning, man, and I am so hungry for God. It's like, it's like, sounds bad, but it's like, I thank God for last week, but I'm so focused on now, and I'm so hungry for what he wants to do in this moment that I'm going to get it. Passion is... Ex Passion's, an, it's, it's nothing more than an expression for what we value. Passion is an expression for what you value. You can't, you, you can create hype. But passion is an expression for what you value. Some people, I love going together and getting together and watching a football game at someone's house because there's always people that could care less about that football game. And they're sitting there like, they're the ones in the kitchen just getting all the food while it's fresh. And the rest of us are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Tiffany, she could care less usually. She's just like, mm, mm. She has no value for it. Now, you put on like some cello music. See, even there's, oh. You can, and you make the house just quiet. And you flip on something like that. And all of a sudden there's just, oh, yes. I love this. Because there's value. I can't get as deep as I need to get into this, but
Paul said things were hidden until now. And it's your job, the church, me, you, to reveal the wisdom of God. It's your job to speak it out, even if you don't think that you're capable. Speak it out. That is what reformers do. Even if they don't think it's that great. I, I, I taught last week on reformers. Just grab the podcast if you want. same power that raised him from the dead. You got it. We don't have to keep going back once we're saved to getting saved again. I love how Paul, I love in Hebrews it said that not laying again the foundation. You can't just keep ripping the house down and relaying the foundation. Lay the foundation and build. Lay the foundation. And he even called raising the dead foundational, which always makes me chuckle. He said the things like, you know, faith, raising the dead, it's foundational, it's foundation. Let's just build up from there, guys. <laughs> That's what he said. What was he walking in? I'm serious. I don't think we're there yet, <laughs> that he's sitting here and saying, all right, guys, we're not going to reteach raising the dead again. We've been through that. We've talked about it. It's basic. We need to get on to what? What was he talking about? We need to get on to teaching people who they are in Christ. That's the context of everything he was writing, was you got to know who you are. you got to know that you don't have to strive. you got to know that God loves you. you got to know this. Everything else, it's a foundation. Build on top of that. My job every week is not to get everybody saved again. My job is to remodel, rip down walls, expand, build bigger things. <laughs> We're in the home improvement <laughs> section of, and listen. We need people that are the evangelists, the lovers of going out and getting people saved. We need that. Don't get me wrong. We need that. We need the teachers. We need the whole fivefold. I teach on that all the time. But our job is to build up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish on this scripture from the Passion Translation. It's Ephesians. I've been reading it, but I'm going to, it's a little further. It's Ephesians 3 verse 20. If you don't have the Passion, it might be hard to follow. Are you ready? I said, are you ready? <laughs> Stand up. I don't even know what time it is. Oh, you guys are fine. You're Ephesians 3, verse 20. says, never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and to accomplish all this. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest requests. I said, I'm going to say that again. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request. Your most unbelievable dream and exceed your wildest imagination. <laughs> he says the craziest thing you can think up. I, I can top that. 
<laughs> I'm going to sing it. I'm going to do it one more time. It said, he will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dream, and exceed your wildest imagination. He will outdo them all, for his miraculous power constantly energizes you. Now, we offer up to God all the glorious praise that rises from every church and every generation through Jesus Christ and all that will yet be manifest through time and eternity. Amen.